0: I'm the co-founder of the CAT669 Alumni Association and the Executive Vice President of Development for the American Friends of Unit 669, a.k.a. AFU-669. In addition to my unit work, I'm an entrepreneur. I saw my first startup called Mishlochov a few years ago and I'm now the co-founder
1: and CEO of Disher. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Pfeffer. I'm an innovation and mentoring expert. I help U.S. and Israeli organizations design and implement their innovation strategy. I'm a mentor and judge at Harvard's Innovation Lab and a mentoring supervisor at the CAT 669 Alumni Association, among others. Lastly, I also teach innovation management and strategy at Reichman University. Our guest today served as a combat soldier in the unit in Team 34. He grew up in an Orthodox family in Israel, worked at the Israeli Ministry of Finance, and since then moved his life to Gibraltar and now London to pursue a career in the gaming and gambling industries. Shahar represented the unit and the organization in London, and along with his team, participated in our PTSD workshops. Shahar and I, welcome and thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, Shahar, I want to start. If I'm not wrong,
0: you took part as a reserve soldier in uh, Operation Protective Edge. Am I right?
2: Yeah, that's true. Yes, in so, 2014.
0: So, can you tell us. Uh, I don't know, any unique experience or, or rescue mission you uh, remember from uh, from the operation?
2: Yes, of course. Um, to be honest, yeah, there's uh, a few stories. Uh, I think the one that maybe is the most memorable for me mm-hmm. uh, was probably the first evacuation from that time. So that was, uh, I remember it was like when everything started and it was still like a feeling that we weren't exactly sure what we're going to. and I think that was the first siren going um, and we flew towards Gaza. And I remember the sky and everything was, um, it was quite like an impressive mm-hmm. horizon with the fire. Uh, but when we landed there, it was the night and we landed there, there was a lot of chaos around. And we took a soldier that uh, was actually injured by, you know, afterwards we understood by a friendly fire. Mm-hmm. And basically there was a lot of mass beginning of a war and it was as i remember there was quite a shock at the helicopter and there was a lot of blood and i remember that i more remember the the smell of it when we got Mm -hmm. to the hospital there was still no one really waiting for us at the hospital so like i said Mm -hmm. beginning of a war still chaos and we had to we had to kind of wait at the helicopter until someone actually came and I remember, I just remember the feeling that everyone were a bit in shock and there was, I think some of us were, you know, I think because we were already in reserves and we were a bit more with experience, hmm. um, we felt like we could maybe handle the situation better. Yeah. Um, but there was uh, a guy with us that He was also a warrior two years or three years younger than us and that was basically his first operation in his life. Um, and I remember the feeling afterwards, you know, for us that we felt like we need to help him and that solidarity was something that was important. And the day after, there was even during the war, that the unit sent a psychologist from the unit to come and to try to help and discuss. And and you know that feeling of solidarity and and the, and the unit that is there to help you, um, even during the, the war and during a situation, yeah. I think that was something for me quite powerful. But mm. But I have to say, from a personal level, that uh, that side, that smell, that is something that really uh, maybe carried over yeah. even after. Because when you are in reserves and you're doing this stuff, you know, you, you come and you do this for two weeks, three weeks, but then, you know, the day after yeah. they replace you, you go back to to it's your it's job. It's out life, of context, you
0: know? not like to serve uh, no, to do I it on a daily basis. I
2: mean, israel is a weird country you know one day you may be in gaza and the next day you're having beer in tel aviv you know it's, yeah. it really is that style and you go back to work the day after no one really not like you take a day off or mm-hmm. yeah. it's like life changing you know 180 degrees in a second and you're back and things continue and yeah, the the, yeah. the change is extreme um but yeah and I don't know if it's good or bad, but you know those memories sometimes stick with you. Sometimes they don't.
0: I want to ask um, to connect between the military service to your uh, afterlife. What values of or principles did you take uh, from the unit, and that you feel that you're using today in your everyday life?
2: It's a good question. I think um, so many things uh, I carry over from from the army and from the unit think as a unit because of the certain operation and the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you kinda always you never know what's going to happen, but because you need to, you know, make decisions quickly and maybe also you never know what you're going into. Yeah. Then I think we all they teach you to be calm. To be to always even if inside you're stressed and there is a lot mm-hmm. going on, on the outside you always need to be very calm. Uh, indifferent in a way. Um, and, and I think when it comes to to professional life, then that's something that it's always shown that you're always very calm very you know you never stress even maybe when things are good Stressful. or bad <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah you' you're always on the outside you always it always seems like you're you're okay. Mm-hmm. And in person in personal life I would say it's al- also the same you know we're, we're always a bit calm, also indifferent. And and I think that, again, yeah, there is good and bad with that. the good. I think in professional life, there is good things. Uh, in personal life, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe you're not, it's not like you're showing that you're extremely happy or you're extremely sad. I feel like a lot of us are a bit in the middle all the time. This is my feeling, you know, because we're kind of being taught to be, you know, to react to things in a certain mm-hmm. way. Even if inside you feel something different, <laughs> on the outside, I feel like you're showing it, in a, in a very medium way. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think some of my friends are also being to therapy. Um, mm-hmm. So they, 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 they've been told that, you know, if you don't scratch it, if you're not really, really sad about things, it's going to be very difficult to be very happy about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe this is on a personal life, but I think on a professional side of life it I think it's quite an advantage I think that's that's one part Uh, and another thing I would say from the from the training you know those 18 months that you're doing uh, it doesn't matter how strong physically you are at some point they manage to break every yeah they, they manage to break everyone at some point and and I think reaching that break point and see how you behave and how you manage to overcome or not overcome it I think it's a, it's a good lesson uh, for life, for for professional life, for personal life, for a lot of things because um, um, it teaches you and you kind of know how to, you know, how to behave and how to yeah. overcome it or continue from it. So for me, those are the two things, the main two things that are going with me from from that time.
1: Mm, very interesting. Um, Shahal, um, Bar asked you about your life after the army and how the army service mm-hmm. uh, impacted that, affected that. I want to ask you a little bit about before the army, because there is something unique about your background, which is you originally come from an Orthodox family. So obviously for two secular people like Bar and myself, and maybe, some, maybe a lot of the listeners, it's interesting to hear some of your thoughts uh, or reasoning for deciding to leave that, um, that Lifestyle and community, and uh, and move to a more you know the army service and so forth.
2: Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a religious family. Uh, up until eighteen, I was studying only with boys in the yeshiva, and I think I always had questions about about religion and about if that's the kind of lifestyle that I want. And I think before, already before I joined the army, I was already in a place that uh, that I thought that maybe it's time for me to to start a change. change. But yeah. Yeah, but I remember once the, you know when you join the army on the first day and you come there and mm-hmm. you meet everyone. I still came with uh, with the yamaka with the keeper on my head, mm-hmm. and you know the way six six nine unit is. I came and I was the only one in my team <laughs> uh-huh. with a yamaka, so immediately. They told me okay then you're in charge in the team about the kitchen you know yeah. ev- ev- everything that is concerned with uh, with religion kosher and things yeah. like that so <laughs> so immediately they kind of even though in, in my mind i was always like i was already ready to leave they immediately appointed me as the head of that and that was
0: head of that it wasn't because... the best
2: scenario um it wasn't the best scenario so you know it took me a while to open up during the the training course and doing and doing that change, and I have to say, you know, the the friends and from the from the team and my commanders really uh, helped and support. But that was a process um, during the entire time during the course, and after that, I went through that change in the army. Um, and but, but but yeah, well, I have to say, you know, a lot of things um, influenced that but the change itself did happen. You know the actual physical change of you know taking off my 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 kipa my yamaka and starting maybe to to do things differently and things differently but but I have to say that education and that life that I had before also um you know affected me a lot you know even the fact that I I joined you know a unit like 69 was um, heavily influenced by my education you know uh, yeah. in a religious school before a lot of my a lot of the people in my high school went to elite units, and that was part of the, the mentality. Yeah, okay. but, but the change was, um, was definitely maybe a bit drastic.
0: Mm. Okay. Now, I want to talk about your professional career. You worked in the Israel Ministry of, of Finance, and from there, in a very sharp change, you moved to Gibraltar, started working with Playtica, a gaming company. Then, if I'm not wrong, for the last six years, uh, you're in Playtech. A gambling company. How has this shift uh, happened?
2: If I go back, for me, uh, my entire life I always tried to, you know, to aim high. It's not like I had like a specific dream that I wanted to be a doctor or I want to start a company specifically. I just, I think, with everything that I did, I just wanted to do the best. And when I finished my university studies, everyone went to try to get into Ministry of Finance, to the budget division. It's uh, what's been called as uh, treasury kids now, now else, uh, mm-hmm. in Hebrew. And mm-hmm. I got in there, um, probably managed to sell myself, right? I'm not sure I was... Uh, <laughs>
0: this is the best know, uh, experience again. you can get to your resume or wh- why back then? I mean.
2: uh, yeah, I think for, for graduating, finance, business economics, um, most people either try to get in there, which is the public sector, or they try to go into strategic consulting. So I got in there. It's a very interesting job to basically sit on the budget of a specific ministry. I was, uh, I was part of the team that was handling the uh the the basically the biggest budget which is the um,
0: which won't uh, surprise us
2: well, take a guess
0: <laughs>
2: I'll it's let you the security it's budget part. yeah <laughs> so but but you you know it's involved with also a lot of politics yeah. and uh and and as a as a young graduate from university uh you make quite big decisions and you learn a lot about mm-hmm politics there's a lot of pressure there as well and i can tell a story that uh i remember so we have to go sometimes into the the knesset yeah and to if, if you want to, yeah, the parliament. Yeah, to re- like, yeah to represent like let's say now um i don't know there is a someone in the knesset that is trying to pass a law that from our side it means that it's going to cost a lot of money and we think it doesn't make sense so we have to go there and represent the Minister of Finance by saying, What's our opinion? Why we think that's not the right way. And I was there maybe for four months or something like that. And my boss couldn't really go. So he told me, It's okay, you can go, you can represent us on something. And I went there and I I said what I had to say. And then that person from the Knesset, like it was a woman, like a minister, and she was like, I think she recognized my face that I was relatively new, so she asked me, "How long are you in this? Are you doing this job?" And I said that you know I don't think it's relevant, and and she kept on insisting. At the end, I had to stay, and then she started, huh. you know, saying how the ministry of Finance, sending, you know, people with no experience here. They don't take me serious, and he was all over the news <laughs> with my face. But, uh, really? but it was funny because when every when everything ended, she came to me and said, you know. It's nothing personal. This is just politics, you know. <laughs> uh, you're just representing something. But it was, you know, it's yeah. it's a nice lesson for life. Uh, yeah. it, it was very exciting here, and you touch a lot of interesting things, uh, and you kind of play with the with the big money. Um, yeah. But I felt, but I felt like still a lot of things were moving for me. I felt like slowly, hmm. uh, and I wanted to move um, into the private sector. And I got a job offer with Playtica, uh, which back then was still not a big company. Uh, Nowadays, they're the biggest social gaming company in the world. And I joined them. Uh, It was quite a big shift. Then after a year there, I moved to Playtech in London. Um... Yeah, trying to stick with very from very, very similar names to yeah. confuse people. Yeah.
0: Um, for, for those who don't understand or don't know what um, Playtech is, can you just give us a quick recap?
2: Playtech is the biggest online gambling provider, more like for, but more on the technical side. It's ab P two B company. Uh, they provide basically anything from content to mm. infrastructure, payment solutions Everything to of the gambling games, the, right? Or, or uh, uh, apps? to the gambling industry, it's it's a yeah. it's a B two B. Uh, uh, so, so they provide maybe the infrastructure, the network, the payment solutions, the, the content, mm. obviously. And, uh, and, and, and what things.
0: is what is your role there? What do you do? How your daily work looks like?
2: So I manage uh, one of the content studios. So basically, I'm like a general manager for a game studio. Um, in London, I have all the, I would say, the brains of it, which is the product people, the mathematicians, um, and then in Bulgaria, I have all the designers, the design studio, and in Ukraine, there is all the development. So, and I oversee this entire operation, and we create games, um, anything from budget strategy, and overseeing the the production and development of everything. So that is my role with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're basically producing producing games, to, uh, so Shana, mostly for online.
1: It's interesting, because uh, in your description of both Playtica and Playtech, you're kind of playing into our next question, or our next um, uh, piece of curiosity, which is, what would you say are the differences, the, the um, conceptual differences between the gaming industry, the online gaming industry, and gambling industry? Or maybe in practical terms, there is no difference.
2: There is a big difference. I mean, maybe from people from the outside, it wouldn't sound big, but um, obviously in, in social gaming, people don't play for money. They can't win money on it. That's the most simple way mm-hmm. to, to answer this. And in gambling, people play on money and they can win money. But obviously, what, how, do, how do they make money in social? People still buy things within the app you know if you look at Mm. candy crush or anything like that so people purchase you know packages to keep on playing or they're now watching commercials uh, in Mm. gambling as we all know poker blackjack things like that people gamble on money and they hope that they're going to win and and with money and now the house makes money from that is obviously you know, win. It's the law of big yeah. the, the house of the, yeah, the, the yeah. you know that right. most of yeah. We we know in average how much we're going to make mm-hmm. in in the long run. Um so you know in this very simple way, one is real money, one is not real money. Um so that that's the that's the simple so the psychology behind it, you know, it's uh, I would say it's maybe different style of players. You know, if you look at Candy Crush, it's people that maybe you know, play now on their phone, yeah. mostly on their phone, then they still feel, you know, that this is, yeah, just a game. Um, and gambling, obviously, it's, um, I mean, it's a big world. You have, the, 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 you know, the younger generation that may be betting on sports and poker. Mm-hmm. You have maybe the a bit older generation that may be still playing blackjack, slot machines.
0: What is the uh, most interesting thing that uh, people are gambling on?
2: I think nowadays it's maybe not surprising anymore. But uh, esports, you know, people can mm. gamble. So, not even esports. You can you can think about those gamers playing against each other in Call of Duty or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's already, already gambling on that.
1: Yeah. By the way, Shaha, So that's interesting. Instead of speaking about some people, if you open your phone now. What kind of uh, games or gambling uh, apps would you have on it?
2: I mean, for me, I have to say it's mostly for, you know, quote, quote, uh, research. I have a lot of games and Mm. lots of uh, gambling sites that obviously I'm I'm always checking Mm. uh, the competition and the market. So most of the time you're uh, using
0: other people platforms?
2: I, I use everything. Really, um, but 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 I wouldn't say I'm not a gambler. I'm not uh, the opposite, but I do play a lot of games, mostly to get ideas and to do yeah. my research and to understand. You know, my my still my advice to everyone that tells me, you know, a lot of people tell me, ah, so you know how to beat the house? How oh, can I make money? And I always tell people, just don't gamble. Really, but on the long run, there's no way of beating the house. Yeah, I, I so never really thought, not a gamble.
1: yeah, I, I always thought people don't gamble to win money, they gamble for the rush yeah, of the risk. Just for the, and actually even, I, you probably know better than, than I do, but I actually read somewhere also a few years ago that there was research done that the amount of pleasure people get from gambling is actually before they found out, they find out the results, it's from the uncertainty.
2: Mm-hmm. That is true, that is true. Yeah, it's uh, it really is that you provide people some psychological rush and thrill. Um, Actually, if someone wins now a lot of money, most chances you're going to lose them as a customer. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really how to, you know, the the engagement is a bit different. Um, You know, but there's a different psychology. You know, know, when we look at here, I live in London, and in London you also have these betting shops in Mm -hmm. the street that people Mm -hmm. go into and bet. Mm -hmm. And those people that go into betting shops are... You can see it's like, let's say now there is some um, workers or whatever, in an office or construction worker, they have like a lunch break. They go in, they have maybe like a uh, hundred pounds in their pocket and wow. they have 15 minutes. So either, and either they win something big with that or, or they nothing. lose it all. It, yeah. Well, yeah, all or nothing. Because, and then, you know, at the end of the day, they go home. Maybe the wife doesn't know. <laughs> or Maybe he comes back with some nice gift because he wants some money. But that's the that's that's life that's style of playing for him. But and then you have that person that maybe plays online. For him, maybe he has like now an hour sits in front of the phone or computer. And for him it's more like he wants to go up and down and doesn't lose his money so fast. So you mm-hmm. know, we create different experiences for different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and definitely it's different also for people who go into a casino. So mm-hmm. The psychology is, is different and also I came before from social, mm-hmm. in social it's uh, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's not, when people don't play for money, it's just you really need to sell and excitement engagement. Mm-hmm. all the time, all the yeah. time.
1: You know, so uh, yeah. you, you talked about the experience and the difference also that whether it's social or not social, the difference that it makes uh, for how to design the experience and how to manage it. Do you think that, um, you know, one of the technologies we hear about a lot or the advancement is blockchain and the uh, implication it has for cryptocurrency and NFTs. Do you think these blockchain in general, but also cri- cryptocurrency and NFT are going to impact or already are impacting those industries?
2: That's a big question. I think no one at the moment really knows. it you know, it's specifically in my industry in gambling again this is me speaking from personal Mm -hmm. opinion i don't think it will uh affect it that much Mm -hmm. Uh, they tried it for a while i think you know my industry is maybe a bit more old school um, and there's a lot a lot of regulation on it Um, lots of a lot of safe gambling so i think I don't. I'm not. Just, don't really see how that blockchain goes into it. Uh, Web three for gaming. Um, I can see the potential, but obviously with everything now that's going with NFTs and prices and how it's connected. I mean, my personal opinion. I don't think it's going to happen very soon, if at all. Are you uh, willing to gamble that on that? To- no, just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I guess personally, I already gambled against it because I didn't really got into that industry Mm -hmm. when there was a boom Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I decided to stay where I am, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know a lot of companies did, Uh, obviously it was all before what happened now, Mm -hmm. Uh, again, this is my personal opinion on it, I'm not advising anyone, you know, (laughs) to put money on put money on (laughs) it.
0: Sarah, do you you see yourself staying in the same uh, place, the same industry for the whole career or what's what's your next plans?
2: Uh, it's a good question. I think my company that I work for, you know, as much as, you know, maybe um, gambling has a bad reputation or it sounds bad. I think um, it's, quite, it's actually quite a clean industry. There's a lot of regulation. And it's much more difficult for for a person to lose his money in gambling than to lose his money in online shopping. I can explain it. You know, It's basically, you can go now to Amazon and spend all your money yeah. No one will stop you. If you. But if you go to a gambling site online, yeah. there is limitation on how much money you can spend and mm-hmm. they will check your funds to see that you have enough money. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of regulation. Um, so it's actually quite clean, although the bad reputation. From a personal perspective, I mean, I don't really know. I think in my entire career, I always, I always just thought that I'll do the best I can and always try to improve and... And you know the next thing will come in the right way. And um, but I, so I am open-minded for you know for changes for interesting ideas. Yeah. Um,
0: Any thoughts but, to to start uh, an entrepreneurial uh,
2: adventure. career adventure? Of course, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, but obviously you, you guys know better than me. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, it's, it's a big move to do. And I think the more you are in a comfortable place, the harder it is to, to make a change yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: starting adventures, uh, you're gambling uh, your life a little bit, right, Bar? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. Shachal, so we spoke, uh, we kind of went with you on a journey from Israel, the Knesset, Gibraltar, London... Um, I want to rewind back to when you just left the service, the the unit. If you could actually rewind back there and, and talk to uh, Shachal back then when he just left the army service, what piece of advice would you give yourself?
2: I think uh, maybe to be, uh, you know, to actually take, you know, what I've, the way I've made decisions in the army and the way... Uh, you learn in the unit maybe to uh, to do you know to behave like that actually more because yeah. uh, I, I think afterwards in life you know as you're going into business you, you make a lot of data-driven decision and you try to think about everything from all aspects and make the best decision and think about everything a lot and try to assess everything and I think in the unit, You've been thrown into situation and you just need to make decisions quite fast. You know, you you mm-hmm. think about them but quickly and you make a decision quickly be, based on your instinct and what you've yeah. been taught and learned. And and I think with time in life as we become a bit more professional, I mean, this is or maybe it's just me, my personal experience. I I tend to make no decisions after thinking about them, evaluate, data-driven, then sometimes you lose a bit that touch of just mm-hmm. instinct and go with your gut. So I would probably, you know, go... The first thing that I would tell Shachal back then is to maybe to stick to that a bit more, go with your instinct, okay. with your guts, you know, just... No, I mean, again, that's my... From my personal experience, you know, looking... You know, it's been a while since then, but I think, yeah, uh, I think that's something that... uh in the army, in the unit specifically, we're being taught. And there is, uh, mm-hmm. it's a good thing to stick to it, actually.
0: Shachar, uh, I think that you have a very colorful life. Uh, you're a very serious and successful man that achieves everything he wants. Uh, when you decide to begin your entrepreneurial career, please let me know because I'm taking you with me. And I want to wish you good luck with everything you're still uh, aiming to achieve. And I want to thank the Ariella House uh, Radio Studio in Tel Aviv for hosting us. And thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Our podcast will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Music, and we will advertise it through the AFU669 marketing channels.
1: If you want to get our newsletter, the podcast episode, or to get involved, please join our mailing list or write us through our website at www.afu669.org. Thank you again, Shahar, And we're looking forward yeah. to the next episode.